The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay, good stuff. Good to see a lot of people here. Actually, see some people I haven't seen for a very, very long time, so that's very nice as well. So that's, that's very good. Um, I'm pleased to see that you're all here. Come out to practice the Dhamma on Sunday morning. It's a good way to spend your Sunday morning. So I, I wanted to ask you a question first before I start anything. And what I want you to do in answering this question is take all your Buddhist preconceived notions off the table. Take, take Buddhism off the table just for a moment. Who here thinks their life is pretty good? Yeah? You think your life's pretty good? Yeah? Why do you think your life's pretty good? Got the Buddha's teachings? That's a good thing, yeah? 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 Yeah, you want stuff, you can... Yeah, you can get it. Good. You know, you have friends, you have family, uh, there's love in the world, you have a good life, you're in a good country. So at the basis of your being, do you think your life is pretty good? Yeah. Yeah. What about, what about existence in the world? Do you think, again, take the Buddhist, take the, I know, I know you're going to be like, if I'm a Buddhist and I need to give you a particular kind of answer, don't give me that answer. Give me the answer that you really feel at the base of your being. Do you think that the world and your existence is pretty good? That it's good to exist? Yeah? Yeah? Is it better to exist than to not exist? Yeah? Yeah, if, if not, no. There's one person shaking their head. As I said, take the Buddha stuff off the table. Take the Buddha stuff off the table. So... Do we think that to exist in some way is pretty good? Yeah, to actually be awake and alive. So what's the alternative now to not exist? You don't exist. So that's, you know, that's not so, it's maybe not so great. And so you can, we can think, well, is the world pretty good? The world that we exist in, is that pretty good? Not really? What about, what about the good things in the world? What about the good things in the world? Love, art, music, uh, nature, uh, a sunset, being, being with friends, being with family. Is that, is that pretty good? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, let's throw the Buddhist card back on the table again now. Now, how are we going to square this that, you know, and I, I, I count myself in this uh, group as well. It's like, I think my life is pretty good. You know, I, I, yeah, I get food, I get all these things, I get to meet all these nice people, I have a very intellectually stimulating life. I actually think it's pretty good to exist. So I'm, I'm with you in this intuition. So let's throw this Buddhist card back on the table now then. Like, so how do we square this intuition that maybe we have with this fundamental teaching of Buddhism that existence is dukkha? For anybody that doesn't know what dukkha is, just to, just to uh, uh, describe, dukkha, for anybody that doesn't know, is we usually translate dukkha as suffering or unsatisfactoriness, or my personal favorite at the moment is discontent. I like, I like the word discontent. But essentially, one of the core fundamental teachings of Buddhism is that to be a human, to exist, existence is dukkha. Existence is suffering. So... 
why do we say this as Buddhists? If, you know, if I think for myself, it's like my life's pretty good, existence is pretty good, why should the Buddhist try to convince you that existence is suffering, that existence is dukkha? Again, you can say, well, look, look I, I can see that there's something, as you said, there's some things in life that are, that are not so good. I, but, you know, there's, there's things like headaches, there's things like problems, uh, there's all these kinds of things, but there's all these other good things in the world as well. Why is existence suffering? Now, the, 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 the bottom line is here with most of these things is when you ask people this, it's like it's usually younger people that say to you, it's like, that's... That's ridiculous, how the existence isn't suffering. Uh, usually, most of the time when you say existence is, is dukkha, people look at you like you're insane, that, you're, that there's something sort of wrong with you. And again, it's usually coming from this place of not really understanding exactly what we mean when we talk about dukkha in the, in the Buddhist sense of the word. So what is it that we actually mean by dukkha? Who knows what dukkha actually is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of them. Yep. 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 Yeah. 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 So. Being with what we don't like, not being with what we like. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that's a very that's a very good answer, and that's the Buddhist answer. That's the that's the kind of the Buddhist answer as well. So we have to try to understand what we're talking about when we're talking about what dukkha actually is, and to get clear on that, like you like you said, there's essentially what we're talking about in in Buddhism when we talk about dukkha is there's essentially three kinds of dukkha. There's what we call, what we could call like evident suffering, evident suffering. There's what we could call the suffering of change, the suffering of impermanence. And then there's the suffering of pervasive conditioning, which is for the, for the, for the people that know a little bit more about this kind of stuff, it's, it's, it's essentially that we're involved in dependent origination. There's paticca samupada. Uh, there is a sape sankara dukkha sape dhamma anatta is that we essentially that we are a part of conditioned phenomena and then we have no agency within that. So there's those three kinds of, of, of suffering that we actually have that we're talking about from the Buddhist perspective. Now, so what's the first level then? What is, what is evident suffering? So that's things like the things that are evident in your life. So you have headaches, you have, uh, you get sick, uh, you, you, you have uh, meetings that you have to go to that you don't like, you have people in your life that are annoying. Um, uh, if you live in Melbourne, you have to deal with the public transport and people on like young guys on public transport with a loudspeaker that thinks that everybody should listen to their music that has a lot of swearing in it and there's all these old ladies on the bus and you have to deal with these kinds of people and you know getting stuck in traffic and all these kinds of things so there's these evident kinds of suffering in the world there's also things like yeah we have we have sadness we have embarrassment we have um, these different aspects of our lives these, these different kinds of stress and this is something that's evident within our life 
Now, we have these evident kinds of suffering, but we might think, well, okay, well, I can, I can actually, that's fine. You know, that's a part of life. I can deal with these things. This is just evident. There's something that's there. But we have to go a little bit deeper than that when we're looking at what evident suffering actually is. Evident suffering is also these bigger things that are in life. You know, there's, a, there's just been an earthquake in Turkey. There's been tens of thousands of people that have died in that. There's a war in Ukraine where you know, innocent civilians are having their homes destroyed and their, uh, their lives are lost and they're being, becoming injured. There's people, in the, there's people in the Congo that have these sort of tribes, tribes of, 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 of marauders come through and rape and pillage and uh, 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 take, take people into slavery and things like that. There's all these things that are in the world that are evident suffering. Now, what we have to face up to is that, again, remember, our lives, we said at the start, it's, it's pretty good. My life is pretty good. My, I think, existence is okay. So for anybody that says, no, actually, this suffering thing is wrong, what you have to do is you have to be okay that those things are happening. You have to say to yourself that this doesn't bother you that the earthquake in Turkey doesn't bother you, that you're totally okay with this, that this is, that's yeah, fine. Now, you probably should be like a little bit uncomfortable with that. You have to, you, if, you're, if you're a normal person, you have to be a little bit uncomfortable with that. So you can now, you now actually have a choice of the way that you can answer me on this. Are you okay with that? No? No? Yeah? So, okay, so you can answer in one of two ways. I'm okay with this, and this doesn't bother me. And if, if that doesn't bother you, then you're suffering from being a... I'll let you insert your own swear word there, because I shouldn't say that on the, uh, in, this, in this context. You're suffering from that, but then... But if you say, well, I'm actually, I'm not okay with that kind of suffering, then you're suffering with the knowledge that these things happen. And so what this is coming, what this is actually showing us is that our lives really are interdependent in some kind of way. And that to exist, we are interdependent with other things and there are evident suffering in life. So just this fact that we exist and that we're interdependent with things is to guarantee that there is going to be some kind of suffering in the world. So we have evident suffering that, you know, as I said, we have to be okay to, uh, uh, to live with. And if we're not okay with it, we just have to accept that this is a kind of suffering that is part of human existence. The second kind of, the second kind of suffering that we actually have is the suffering of change, the dukkha of change, the dukkha of impermanence. This essentially means that good things can't stay good forever. Now, again, again, if we look at somebody that's, that's, that's younger than me, there's not actually many people that are younger than me at the moment kind of thing. Because well, I don't want to pick on anybody here, actually. Like, so I'm, I want to pick on myself. Kat, you're probably younger than me. Yeah, you're... you're oh, yeah. 
Yeah, you're younger than me. You're younger than me. It's um, anyway. Anyway, let's just let's just. Well, you, there's somebody on the internet that's listening to me that's that's younger than me. So as I said, I don't want to I don't want to point anybody out here. So if we if we actually think, okay, the, there's uh, there's the suffering of change. What does that actually mean? What that actually means is whatever state that you're in. Uh, if you look at somebody like me, at some point you're going to end up like me. I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit flabby. I'm a bit flabby now. I'm getting wrinkles. My, you know, when I went home, my my beard got grey, kind of thing. I get some grey hair coming through. That this is actually a part of your existence that you're going to change. Now you might look at that and go, oh, you know, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't want to be older. You know, I don't want to actually experience a aging like that. And so I ask the question: Is well, what's the alternative? You can die young. That's not a great alternative. I look at people that are older here in the audience than me. It's like, oh man, I don't want to get that old, and I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't, want, I don't want to do that. But it's like, okay, there's the alternative. I die now. I don't really, I don't really want that. So if we look at the change that's in our lives in this kind of way, then we actually see that when we look at our existence, we are really a corpse in the making. You are the, this, this fact of that you inhabit this, kind, this body that you have means that you're some kind of disease factory, that this is going to actually happen to you. Now, you can... You can you know, like like most people, you can you can look at that and go, well, okay, well, I look, I'm not like that now. I'm fine now. I'm healthy. I'm strong. Um, you know, I'll I'll worry about that. You know, I'll worry about that if it ever happens to me. I doubt it'll ever happen to me. But it, you know, it's so you can you can say that you can you can deny that. But again, you're still suffering. You're suffering from self-deception. So what's it better to suffer from? Is it better to suffer from self-deception or is it better to suffer from facing up to the existential reality of having a body and having an existence? Accepting, yeah. You can pick, you can pick self-delusion if you want. That's, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying you have to do either one of them. So we have to face up to this and face up to it in some way that we deceive ourselves about this change. Now this is this is really this uh, this is this is a, a it's it's a great reflection and there's a lot of uh, people there's some really interesting things going on of of people that that talk about the denial of death or something like that as uh, and the way that we cope with that is is actually denying things in a particular kind of way. There was uh, uh, Ernest Brewer wrote a book in the in the seventies called the denial of death, which sort of spurred on what we call terror management theory now, which is by, by Solomon and Goldberg and Bozensky, which essentially what it says is that we're faced with this existential void of nothingness and death. And this terrifies us. And we spend everything that we do in our life is an attempt to cover that over is to deny that, is to actually move in some kind of way where we're actually forgetting that that's actually happening to us. Now, obviously, that's a, that's a newer kind of uh, modality of thinking that's happening. But if we look at, you know, sort of back in the 7th century, Shantideva was saying very similar kinds of things. He was saying, saying that essentially we're all like fish that are stuck in a net. 
and every movement that we make, we're trying to get out of that net. And so this, this reality that there is this kind of existential, ex, ex, existential terror or dread that we are finite and that we will change, this is, causes us to overlook this factor of change. And so the third kind of the third kind of suffering that we have is this suffering of pervasive conditioning. Now, what does pervasive conditioning actually mean? Again, for the for the people that uh, maybe know some Pali, this is Paticca Samuppada, dependent origination. This is, but in more simple kinds of terms, what this means is that we feel like we're an individual, and we're an individual that has control over our existence. Um, we, and we, there's this kind of tension between that feeling, but then the feeling, but then the knowledge or the reality that we're actually very, very interdependent and we have no control over really anything. So if we actually sort of look at, look at this in some kind of way, we can actually start to see that what, what does it actually mean to feel like that we're an individual and that we control everything? Like, Let's take that to its logical nth. To be an individual and have control over everything yourself, what does that actually mean? That means you do things like, okay, you, if your food. How do you get food? Okay, well, if I'm an individual and I control everything, I grow my own food. Um, I don't make my own food, but then you also have to control the soil that you plant this in. You have to control the water that is in the environment, you have to control the process of photosynthesis. You have to control the, you know, the sun coming up and going down. You have to control all these things. If you want a pair of shoes, if you really are an individual that you have control over everything and you have absolute autonomy over everything, then this means the shoes that you have to make your shoes yourself, but then you also have to produce the plastic. If you want leather shoes, you have to uh, uh, produce the cow that made the leather. So, we can see that our lives are very, very interdependent. Now, this was true when we were a hunter-gatherer society, but this is even more so true now. Uh, everything that we get, it's, it's from this complex causal net that we're actually getting these, these different things that we actually need to live. Now, so what does this mean? This means that something that somebody does over the other side of the world impacts you in some way, affects you in some kind of way. Anything that happens in the world affects you. Might affect trade, might affect how you get your bananas, but in some way it's going to affect you in some kind of way. So what this is showing us is that we're, we're very, very causally interdependent on each other. And we don't control this process. Things happen on the other side of the world, but it does impact us in some kind of way. So if we look at that, then we can actually start to go, well, well yeah, I, you know, I don't really have control over a lot of things. So what this means is that you know, a drunk driver can come out of nowhere and kill you, and you have no control over this. So it's this tension between wanting to be an independent, a gentle agent in the world that controls things and this tension between that things are actually very, very interdependent, causally conditioned, and we actually don't have any kind of control over it. So when we talk about dukkha in Buddhism, this is what we're talking about. 
This is what we're actually, we're not talking about this kind of pessimistic view of the world. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about that there's evident suffering, that there is things in the world that are evidently uh, uh, suffering. There is the suffering of change and there is the suffering of pervasive conditioning. And what all we're saying as Buddhists is that we have to face up to this, is that we have to actually look at this objectively and go, well, this is a part of reality. But we also have to face up to the kind of self-denial or the methods of denial that we actually use to cover that up. So can anybody now actually see any problem with those three things? Evident suffering, suffering of change, or pervasive conditioning. Can anybody see any problem with any of those? I can. Anybody? Yeah, they suck. Yeah, they yeah, they <laughs> they definitely suck. Yeah, it's truly totally impermanent. It's not absolute suffering. Mm. Like, you know, pervasive conditioning, what makes you sad, you can get happy later and just yeah. you can sort of be okay with that whole pretend hallucination. Yeah. 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 What about evident suffering? What's the problem with evident suffering? What's the problem with that logic? If there's evident suffering, there has to be evident. Yeah. There's good things in the world. That has to be there as well. So if suffering is evident, happiness has to be evident as well. The the birth of Venus hangs in the Uffizi Gallery at the moment. Botticelli is the birth of Venus. This is a cause of, of it's, 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 a, it's a condition that is there. This is happiness. If there's some kind of uh, uh, racism or prejudice in the world, then there is the cause of somebody moving against that to overcome that racism or prejudice. There's, there's, there's coffee in the world. Like there's coffee there and it's all around. It's like this is a good thing. There's puppies in the world. So if there is evident suffering, there also has to be evident happiness as well. We can take that, yeah? Change. What's the problem there? Some of it's evolutionary change, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Some things change for the better. Sometimes things change, but they do change for the better. To actually... You know, to have, uh, to, for us to evolve, to grow, there has to be some period of decay. There has to be, for growth, there has to be decay. So the suffering of change, well, it's like, well, look, we can, we can sort of say in some kind of way that maybe, maybe change, it's not such a bad thing. What about interdependence? What's wrong with that? If it all works, but but. Well, there's this illusion that we're not a lot of the time. You know, that things aren't interdependent, like you know that thinking. Yeah. I'm an ego. I'm this. I'm God or whatever type thing. Mm. Versus um, seeing that reality where we are causally connected, conditioned reactions don't have influences. Yeah. Because that side of reality, like it's. Yeah. The the thing that the thing that jumps to my mind is, is it's actually good that things are interdependent. I I don't want to perform surgery on myself. 
Like, I'm very glad that there's a causal nexus of people uh, that can like make my phone and make the internet and all these kinds of things. This is a good thing. So we can see that maybe there's some tension there with these things. So this is where most people have the argument with Dukkha. We can actually start to say, it's like, hang on, no, 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 this is, this is all wrong. Dukkha is, you know, this Dukkha thing, it's, it's all wrong. Actually, Dukkha isn't the pervasive condition of our existence. Happiness and goodness is. We can say that. We can say that suffering might be the cause for moral growth. Suffering might be the cause for you to, uh, uh, some kind of personal development in some kind of way. If you think of Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, very, very terrible thing happened from that developed some kind of purpose from it, and this is actually, it's a worldwide phenomena, and so there's something very personal about personal growth that comes from suffering. We can look at things in the world, that if there's some kind of suffering, this, is, this guides how we make our decisions. This guides how we actually deal with problems. So actually having suffering there, this is a good thing because this is an actual cause for good in the world. Does everyone agree with that? Yeah? You don't have to. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying you have to. Where, where the, the attachment comes in there? This is, this is the fundamental issue. I mean, because you have the attachment. Yeah. Suffering. Yeah. I mean, we expect that everything is going to be permanent. Yeah. Yeah. Not for change. Yeah, so there's the attachment, but, you know, attaching to something that is better also might be good as well. Attaching to, no, 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 this thing is wrong, so I think it should be better in some kind of way. Attaching to a good outcome might be a good thing. You know, attaching, but attaching to a, a negative outcome might be a bad thing. So we can, sort of, we can sort of see what we have here is what I like to think of as a foreground and a background problem. Now, a foreground, foreground and a background problem here is, is that as what we might, what people might think is that the background of our existence, the base level of our existence is happiness, it is goodness. And that suffering comes along and it's more in the foreground and it's something that temporarily comes along but things are generally good, yeah? But Buddhists, we say it's a different way around. We say that suffering is in the background and that the happiness is in the foreground and suffering that comes something that comes along just permanently and, and bumps in there. So let's, let's play with this intuition. What's the Buddhist, what is the Buddhist view of this? Why do we view suffering as the background and not the foreground? So if you, there's, a, there's, this really, there's this really cool um, uh, analogy from Tibetan Buddhism, which is, it's, it's really visceral and it's, I, I hate thinking of it, but it, it's, it paints the picture so well. The way they conceptualize happiness in the world is like having honey on a razor blade and licking the razor blade to get the happiness. I, I just love when people sort of, because I do the same thing. It's, 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 so we, we sort of say that this is the underlying condition that's there for this thing. Now, for, for suffering to be considered the base of our existence, again, the razor blade, not the honey. The base of our existence, all we have to do is when we look out in the world, we know that existence is suffering 
And when something good happens, we're okay with that. It doesn't bother me. I accept that, yeah, something good happens. And I can accept that. Now, does that sound reasonable? Yeah? So, again, but if we get back to the other, the other example, if I think happiness is the basis of life, and these blips of suffering come along, does that bother me? Does tens of thousand people dying in Turkey, that doesn't, you can say that doesn't bother me? People dying in war, that doesn't bother me? I don't think anybody really looks at themselves in the mirror and goes, you know, that, that doesn't bother me at all. So this is why we, as Buddhists, we say we have this intuition that suffering is at the basis, but that happiness is something that comes along temporarily. Now, why does it do this? Why does, why does this actually happen? Why does, uh, how, do we, how do we have this kind of intuition here that, you know, that there is suffering that at, the, at the base, that it is this basic condition, but that happiness is more like a temporary blip. It is more like a distraction, you could say. Why do we have this? Essentially, what we think of in Buddhist terms of what causes this suffering, uh, sorry, what causes this distraction from the suffering is what we call, uh, in Buddhist speak, we call it avijja, which is, uh, I like to call it primal confusion, a kind, of, a kind of confusion of the way that we view the world. Some people call it ignorance, some people call it delusion. If you call it ignorance, what usually happens is there's this kind of thought that you're ignorant of something or you're... Or it's, or it's a negative kind of thing, or you're negating something, or you're missing something. That's, uh, that's more why I like kind of confusion is because what's happening is, is you're becoming confused about something about reality. And this is, there's a really nice example of what, you know, the uh, being distracted or being uh, deceived by happiness uh, and how and how uh, like primal confusion operates in that. It's for this really nice quote from uh, uh, a Buddhist philosopher, and I think it was the 8th century, it's called Sankapa. And he, he basically said that what we do is we superimpose a misunderstanding of reality onto the reality that we actually perceive. So that there is suffering there, but we misperceive and we superimpose something on top of that. So we see something like primal confusion, we see a vijja as something, as a way that we're adding something onto this. This is, a, you could say, something we're adding to, where it's a, it's a positive thing, it's not a negative thing. So this is what we're doing a lot of the time, is where we're saying that, that, you know, that the world essentially is, has a, this bottom layer, it has this dukkha at the bottom layer, but what we're doing is we're becoming distracted by happiness that comes along. We're superimposing happiness on a condition of suffering. We're misperceiving the, our existence that we think is suffering, the happiness that comes along when we're misperceiving that. So this is the tension that we face. This is the tension that we face in everything. If we consider that everything in existence is dukkha, we're just distracting ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. We're telling ourselves that some kind of happiness that comes along, uh, that this is the way reality is. But in a, essentially what we're arguing as Buddhists is that, no, this is, a, this is a distraction from the way things are. So 
this is where this is where we can start to think about this a little bit deeper now then and i what what what's the problem with that what's actually okay so is suffering dukkha permeates existence what's the problem there what's the objection there we alluded to it before so so this is a thing i'm not going to answer this for you i don't want to answer this for you what do we actually really think do we actually really think that suffering is the permanent condition of existence or is happiness the permanent condition of existence which do we think it is what's what's the problem with suffering being the permanent the permanent aspect of condition of of existence too extreme, yeah, yeah. So again, I'm not going to answer this for you. What what I I would much rather do would see it is much more interesting. I think I think it's better if you discuss this yourself. You discuss this yourself, and then you tell me what you think. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to ask you questions. I I don't want to answer anybody's questions today. I'm going to ask you questions about this, and. Be forewarned, whatever you tell me, I'm going to take the opposite position. <laughs> I'm not going to say I, I support it, or I, but I'm just going to take the opposite position. And for you, I really what I, what I want you to do is actually think about this for yourselves. Uh, you, know, you can sit here and you can listen to me, but like, what really, what benefit is that? I'd rather you actually like think about these things for yourself and discuss it with yourself. So what we'll do, we can sort of find the people around you, have a chat to them, have a chat to them. You know, is suffering in the background or is it in the foreground? We'll chat for maybe like ten minutes or so, and just for the people online, I'll jump on. And if you wanna, if you wanna, uh, if you wanna say something, if you wanna say something to me, you wanna debate this, that's fine. But we'll come back in about ten minutes, and yeah, we'll talk about it. Go for it. Turn to somebody that you don't know.